Wherever cancer is, Hancock Health will fight. In any part of you and in all corners of East Central Indiana. From Indianapolis to Greenfield to Knightstown and beyond. From hospital rooms to family rooms, we fight. With technology and medicine. With care backed by the wisdom of Mayo Clinic. For you, for your family, and for your future. We fight cancer here. HancockHealth.org slash cancer. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? So let's what a surprise, Hammer. U.S. District Judge set President Donald Trump's trial date and the Biden's DOJ's sham prosecution against him March 4th, 2024, which, oddly enough, is the day before Super Tuesday. I'm sure hmm. that's just a coincidence. Now, wait, which one is this? Is this the one for the January 6th or is this the one for the illegal documents at Mar-a-Lago? I've lost track. This There's would so fall under the category of... Um, the illegal documents, I believe. Okay, wonderful. Now, keep in mind, yes, this trial is March 4th, right before Super Tuesday, but that's only 20 days before Donald Trump is scheduled to be on trial in New York. So Boy. think about how busy of a campaign season that is, and they're scheduling them one right after the other. I wonder why why that is. I mean, I'm just off the top of my head, thinking extemporaneously, why in the world would they schedule a bunch of trials and uh, indictments and charges right during the heart of campaign season 2024 for Donald Trump? Now, Any theories? This may be tinfoil hat, so bear with me. <laughs> but it almost sounds like there are some folks on the left that don't want Donald Trump to run for president. Mm. They want his interests elsewhere. Is that even tinfoil hat? Or I think it's pretty common knowledge. Like, if you say <laughs> the opposite, that's the tinfoil hat yeah. at this point, right? That's what's happening here. I mean, if you want to argue Donald Trump may be guilty, he may not be guilty. All right, we'll have that conversation. But to say that this isn't a coordinated attempt at election interference, come on. The day right before Super Tuesday, 20 days later, he's doing the same thing in New York <laughs> during a busy primary season. Here is Representative Byron Donalds of Florida on the mood of Americans on the heels of the Donald Trump mugshot. And now all these cases being scheduled during the campaign season. And look, Americans are pissed off. You're talking about a government and Department of Justice that ignores the crimes of the president's son and, frankly, the president himself. They ignore those crimes. There's no investigation. There's no serious effort by the Department of Justice or the FBI to get to the bottom of that. Meanwhile, they're going after the chief political rival. That is unfairness to the nth degree. And all that is happening with the backdrop of an America that is failing around us. Meanwhile, all the things that are going on in America that are affecting poor Americans, middle-income Americans, white Americans, black Americans, etc., is being ignored, and the press covers it up. They are the Democrats, that is, the people in charge, the people that are running this country currently, cannot believe that people would actually vote for Donald Trump. They still can't believe the 2016 election. They are mad at you. They want to shame you. They hate you for voting for Donald Trump. And this is punishment, not only for Donald Trump, but for his supporters as well.
Well, Nige, those same people are not going to like the donation number that came in for Donald Trump after that mugshot yeah. was released. Yeah. That's a big number, my friend. $7.1 million in <laughs> fundraising since the mugshot taken or uh, seen around the world uh, happened on Thursday. 7.1 hammer. That's a big number. Since Thursday, $7.1 million donated to the Trump campaign. Some of these also rants haven't even sniffed that amount of money, and they've been in this campaign for months. Like Nikki Haley got in early. Larry Elder got in early. They dream of this type of money. Trump brought it in from Thursday. Nikki, Nikki Haley's like, can, can I get indicted? <laughs> Would somebody mind indicting me, please? The problem is they don't view you as a political threat at this point, Nikki. There's really only one person in this crowded field that the left views as a threat. It's not DeSantis. It's not Ramaswamy. It's the big bad orange man. Now, speaking of the political left, a new poll is out. And it sounds like people are looking at Joe Biden and they're saying, Damn, you're old. <laughs> is this the AP poll? This is the yeah. AP NORC NORC poll of around uh, 1,165 adults conducted August 10th through the 14th. Okay, so we're talking about uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, using a sample drawn from the uh, panel of America Speak, 77% of people in this survey said Joe Biden is just too damn old to be effective for four more years. Not only do 89% of Republicans say that, but almost 70% of Democrats say the same. Normally, you see these numbers completely going on par with the political party. But 69% of Democrats say that Joe Biden is too old to be effective for four more years. We've seen poll after poll. We've seen articles in the New York Times and liberal rags like The Atlantic talk about Joe Biden's age. Notice they don't mention anything about his son or his involvement, possibly, in business dealings with his son uh, when he was vice president of the United States. They they don't really bring that up when talking, but they just care about his age. They just say, oh, no, he's too old for the job. Right. That's the thing that sticks out to me. Yes, Joe Biden's old, but is that really the thing that's moving the needle for these (laughs) Voters, is age the only thing they have a problem with? Not the Afghan withdrawal, the Hawaii response, the East Palestine response, bribery, selling his access for financial gain, open borders, bad inflation, high gas prices, supply chain issues, (laughs) speaking gibberish, falling all the time. But it's his age. His age is where we have a problem with. I mean, did you see him? He just. The last time I saw him on the beach, he just looked bad, man. Not because he's like an eighty-year-old, just old man. Just he, he, his this latest vacation, the footage coming out of where, where is he in Utah somewhere? Yeah, Lake Tahoe. Lake Tahoe just, just he does doesn't doesn't look healthy at all. It just in his disastrous two-hour appearance in Maui was indicative of the way just just I. I 
there's something about that guy lately that's even over the over the top for me in terms of how he looks, how he's performing, how he, you know shuffling around. As Donald Trump put it, walking on looks like looks like he's walking on toothpicks. <laughs> Bernie Lomax looks like he's got yeah. more life on the beach from weekend at Bernie's than Joe Biden does. But the good news, Nige, is that we're going to find out what it looks like later this week because he's going on vacation again. Oh boy. He's Later a, this week. He's had a hard two days of work. You better get right back on that jet and go to vacation. <laughs> I mean, it's been a pretty relaxing month for Joe Biden. One vacation right after the other. Yeah, had to be bothered there for a couple hours to make the trip to Maui. And that really rubbed yeah, him the wrong way. Really? No comment. Can you tell us about your Hawaii trip? No. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Um CNN host Abby Phillips. She's one of their uh, weekend scrubs over at CNN. Listen to this. She did an interview with a uh, pro-Trump guest on her program. And when the pro-Trump guest kind of throws a little bit back to her, talking about some of the ridiculous things that Joe Biden and his family have done without much media coverage or anything else, she pulls the old we have to wrap it up trick. What I can tell you, he knows everything he's done is uh, legal and by the book. Uh, he's been proven right time and time again, whether it was the Rush, Democrat-Russian collusion hoax, right? Whether it was Hunter Biden's laptop uh, or Joe Biden's uh, foreign corruption. Time right, and time Mr. again, Goodman. people have attacked the mayor. Mr. Goodman, thank you very uh, much for your time. For issues Mr. Goodman, thank, right thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for your time tonight. <laughs> he's probably still rattling off. Things. Yeah. Hurry, he's making really good points. Time to cut the commercial. Cut the commercial. The producer in her ear is having a stroke. <laughs> Stop him. Stop him right now. He's talking bad about Joe Biden in this conversation. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I can't believe you're a professional golfer. I think you should be working at the snack bar. <laughs> you better relax, Bob. There is no way that you could have been as bad at hockey as you are at golf. All right, let's go. Do you like that, old man? You want a piece of me? I don't want a piece of you. I want the whole thing. I love that scene in Happy Gilmore. Uh, Bob Barker and Happy Gilmore getting into a fist fight on the golf course. Uh, Star of the Price is Right, Bob Barker died of natural causes Saturday, 99 years old. What a life this wow. guy lived, man. You got to host arguably the most popular game show, some would say, of all time. You got to bang all these beauties that you worked with. <laughs> I mean, everybody loved you. You're doing movies. 99 years, man. What a life. Died this close to 100 without going over. Damn right he did. Hey-o. Whack, whack. Um, Bob Barker, drink of choice, by the way was tequila. No tequila. I go home and I, I sit down and I get my head leaning back and get my foot up above my heart and then I sip tequila and I feel better. 
I intend to sit on my rocking chair at home with my right hand. I'm going to pet my dog, Jesse. And over here in my left hand, I'll have a jug of tequila. And my retirement is just going to be beautiful. You know, I'm out on the street chasing a dog with a bottle of tequila in my hand. <laughs> People are going to say, the old drunk, there he goes again. Get back here, Jesse! <laughs> the only thing worse is an old man chasing his dog down the street without a bottle of tequila. <laughs> well, I had no idea about his affinity for tequila. I know. Had I known he was a tequila guy, I would have brought some tequila in the studio. I think I drank it all, so I know. I'd work with what we got. Most of the booze that is left in my office that is halfway full <laughs> magically ends up being drained by the time I come back to the office somehow. Especially when you're on vacation. Right. <laughs> and the thing is, you have a key to my office because we yeah. used to share this office, so I can't lock it. And then when they finally gave you in office, I can't go in there. What sucks, because you're never here. Like the 85 days a year, yeah. you're not here. I can't get into your office and steal your booze. It's 90. But you can come into my office and get mine. I love the way this works. So, in honor of the late, great Bob Barker, we are going to play a round of Cameo Price is Right. Oh. Now, Nigel's on a two-game <sighs> heater here. Ever since Allison took over for Kyle, it was like those years with the Bulls when Jordan retired and they weren't very good. Right. Like, you could never beat Kyle. I could never beat him. But now Allison over here is like yeah. the generals against the Globetrotters. You can't <laughs> seem to get a win. Yeah, it's it's not good. So loser has to what? Do a shot? Yes. Okay. I've got some backbone uncut bourbon here, straight bourbon whiskey. And whoever wins, mm. actually, the winner gets their choice. Mm -hmm. You can take the shot or... Or you can pass it to your partner. And the way this works is the website, the app Cameo, right. where celebrities have signed up. And if you pay a certain fee, you can get that celebrity to send you a personalized message. Now, Price is Right rules are in effect. Closest without going over. First one to three is the winner. Nige, uh, you won last time. Do you want to go first? Do you defer to Allison? I'll defer. Why? Winner. Okay. That's how it is. Okay, fine. Win something, then you can complain, Allison. All right. I love this game. Wayne Knight. Newman from Seinfeld. Ooh. How much does he charge for a cameo message? Uh, I'm going to go with um, 50 bucks. Nige? Uh, I'm going the over there, uh, 51. $330. Yeah. $330? <laughs> Nige I just knew it had to be more than more than 50. Yeah, I'm that's to a go big under one. Because I always go over, so that's my strategy this 330 time. $330 bucks for Newman. I, I think that'd be worth it. I think that's I think that's still worth it because Seinfeld, one of the greatest sitcoms of all time. All right, Nige, yes, this yes, is yes. yours. <sighs> Patrick Duffy, Bobby Ewing from Dallas, oh. was also on Step by Step, the uh, cheesy 90s sitcom. Patrick Duffy, how much on Cameo? $75. Allison? 76 Nigel, right on the nose! Yeah! Did you see Allison! it? $75 right on the money. All right, Allison, you've got to get this one right to continue the game. Former Double Dare host Mark Summers, who I believe is an Indianapolis product. Yeah. Mark Summers, how much does he charge for Cameo? I'm so sorry. Wh who is he again? The host of Double Dare, formerly oh, on Nickelodeon. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, 100. Um, I'll do 75. 
Allison, 100% right, oh, $100. Exactly. Right on the nose. All right. Do you have to keep going? Nige, <laughs> one I gotta more. Get this, I got to get this one right, right? KC of KC and the Sunshine Band. Oh. How much does he charge for Cameo? Do a little dance, make a little yeah. love, get down tonight. I'd say at least 150 Is that your guess? My fi- 150 I don't know who this is. Uh, I'll go with uh, 100 You've never heard do a little dance, make a little love, get down tonight, boogie <laughs> shoes, I don't, any I, of that? Maybe, maybe. I'm going to go with 100 You know what? You deserve to lose. Nigel's <laughs> right, $150. Woo! <laughs> The beatdowns continue. Uh, All right, so Nige, this amazing backbone bourbon, yes. uncut straight bourbon whiskey. Do you want the shot, or do you want Allison to take the shot? I want Allison to take the shot. Really? All right, Allison, I'm going to pass this over to you right okay. now. Let's <laughs> do this. This one. This is not a, exactly an easy one either. Oh well, thank you. You know what? And as the host, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to join Alex right here. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, cheers to the late great Bob Barker, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. Mm. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Good decision, Nige. Take a swig of water there. Take a deep breath. I rather enjoyed it. I might have to pour me one while you've got it back here, actually. Yeah. You all right there? Allison's in trouble. Let's take a break. What a good day for me. Allison's in trouble. All on a Monday's work here on the Hammer and Nigel Show. The only way to bag a classy lady is to give her two tickets to the gun show. It's Monday Gun Day with the gun guy. Just watch out for the guns. They'll get you. Stop calling your arms guns. The Hammer and Nigel Show. My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer is here. Also joining us live in studio, Guy Relford, Second Amendment attorney and licensed firearms instructor, host of the Gun Guy Show Saturdays here on 93 WIBC. Guy, how are you? Man, I'm great. And thanks as always to our sponsor for Monday Gun Day. That's Premier Arms in Brownsburg with the largest selection of new, used, and historic firearms in the Midwest and PA Jewelers located right in the store. Check them out at 3754 South Green Street in Brownsburg or PremierArms.com. So, Guy, I read that the IMPD is going to have a community meeting to discuss recent shootings, recent police action shootings. There was a situation, I believe it was last week, where the body cam video was released where a suspect was getting pulled over for a traffic violation, gets out of his car, goes back into his car and grabs the firearm and then tries to make a run for it before he was shot dead. And by the way, right in the middle of all of that, because I went back and watched that video uh, on a computer with good audio. Right in the middle of that, he also says, I just got out of prison. Yes. Did you hear that? I mean, it's not easy to decipher. You really have to go through and you got to have some decent audio. I, I couldn't hear it at all on my phone. But but I just got out of prison and then reaches back into his vehicle uh, and grabs a gun and starts to quote-unquote run. He's sort of hobbling away. I guess the guy was disabled to some degree. But gun in hand. But gun in hand. And this past weekend, there was some lunatic who had a machete who was threatening to kill people. And this guy lunges at one of the SWAT team members. Charges him with the machete. And he is shot dead. Right. So what do you want to hear from the IMPD during these community meetings? Because I certainly don't think it should be I'm sorry. 
No, it, it shouldn't be. To me, what it should be is just to lay out exactly what the standards are. What the standards are under Indiana law for the use of deadly force and self-defense or defense of the community. What it, and we went through this uh, last week about what the law says uh, of when an officer can legally and justifiably use force, including deadly force, but also what the IMPD standards are. And then, you know, because they have their own protocols that, of course, align with Indiana law. And I would go through that and then explain why it is these uh, situations aligned with not only Indiana law, but uh, IMPD protocols. And listen, I, I still say that 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 the, the shooting of the gentleman who's running away is is I think because he's got a gun in his hand and at any moment can turn around and start firing guns at, or shots at that police officer and because he made this specific decision to reach into the vehicle and grab the gun before he started running. I mean, he's not just trying to get away. He grabbed a gun and then started running. I mean, that alone right there before he started running when he grabbed the gun, I would have thought the officer may have opened fire. Well, oh, right then, which, as yes. soon as he grabbed the gun. But he, he now he's grabbed the gun, he's run some, or hobbled, run, whatever you want to say, some distance, and then the officer shoots him. That Do I think that was justified? I think it probably was, because he made the decision to grab the gun, but it's not... It's not a clear-cut case. It's it, it is it is closer than people are are, are are talking about because he is running away and because he never did turn around and immediately threaten the officer. Does that mean the officer have to wait has to wait until the guy turns around and starts shooting at him? You wouldn't think so, right? That's why I think legally he's probably in the clear. But because he's running away and the officer shoots him in the back, then okay, then I could see you know reasonable minds differing on this. Well, in this community meeting. I think is being scheduled by IMPD because some media outlets, some TV stations in Indianapolis have simply just done the reporting. IMPD shoots man in the back as he was running away. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's 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 uh, white cop, black police officer. Right. So that's always going to get a lot of attention. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and sometimes when it has been even black police officer and black suspect, oh, yeah. it's been, you know, very one sided in terms of the reporting. So, again, one thing I don't want to hear from the IMPD is I'm sorry. I think the message has to be simple and it even has great alliterations. Um Put down the gun and don't run. Well, you yeah. do that, you will live to fight another day. Put down the gun and don't run. And in what world does anyone rationally think it's a good idea to grab your gun during a traffic stop? Or machete, for that matter. Or, yes, and charge at police officers. I mean, you know, if somebody said, Guy, knowing everything you know, if you grab your gun during a traffic stop, do you have some reasonable <laughs> expectation you're going to get shot? Yes. I would say yes every time. And, and, and listen, these officers are pulling people over all the time. They don't know what's going through their mind. They don't know what's going on. Suddenly there's a gun involved. That person makes a decision to arm themselves in the middle of a traffic stop. Listen, I, I empathize with those officers 100%. I just think, I think it's going to be interesting to watch the, 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 the one shooting and the results of that, the ramifications of that unfold because the guy is running away and never actually turns around. I could see, for instance, a reasonable prediction on all of this. In fact, I'll just make this my prediction is that he's cleared legally in terms of the justifiable use of, of self-defense. He may catch some 
small amount of flack internally in terms of disciplinary proceedings at IMPD, and then the city of Indianapolis turns around and writes a great big old check in a settlement in a civil case. That scenario right there as I just laid it out it would not, not only would not surprise me I'd say that probably is the most likely outcome well, they did it with Drayshawn Reed and his family and he actually turned around and fired back at the officers before he was put down uh, yeah they wrote him a, they wrote his family a check and yeah. that's so disgusting I'm sorry he was trying to murder a police officer and the city of Indianapolis gave his family the money well and and I represented Desjardins Mercer the police officer not in that civil case by any means I wasn't involved in that, but in a separate legal issue, and uh, and I got to know Dijer Mercer, and he's a he's a he's a true hero, and he's a true gentleman, and he did everything right in that situation. And the fact that the city of Indianapolis didn't have the cojones to step up behind him and say, "Hell no, we're not writing a check when our officer did everything right," is is repugnant to me. It's disgusting to me, and that's in part because not only have I studied every second of the, of the video. And, and, and studied the details of the ISP investigation that was incredibly thorough, but, but because um, that just seems to be the, 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 the modus operandi of this administration. That's why that's my prediction that it happens in this other shooting. And just real quick, one more thing on this. Like, a law-abiding gun, over gets, gun owner gets pulled over. They've yeah. got their gun in their glove box or, or wherever. Yeah. Pulled over for speeding. Do you even let the cop know that you have a gun in the car or... It, it, do you even bring that up? Well, it's a like, great. You know qu- what I mean? Like just for just for speeding, you're a law-abiding guy. You sure. Get Forty well, that, and a thirty-five, or in a school zone, but you yeah. have a gun in the car. That's happened to me a lot. Yeah. Because, <laughs> right, because, right. because I, I'm kind of a fast driver, and I always have a gun in the car, if not on my person or both. Um, so, first of all, Indiana law says you don't have to notify the officer. There's not a duty to disclose under Indiana law. So it's up to you. So as I teach in my classes, um, comes down to what is smart. What I've decided the best protocol is, and it's worked really, really well for me, is that when the officer says, can I have your license, registration, proof of insurance, I just take my license to carry handgun, and I put it right on top, and I don't say a word I just about it. I just hand it to the officer, and it's worked out incredibly well. You know, four or five times, just maybe an indication of how fast I drive, but, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, but an officer has looked at that and said, oh, I take it there's a gun in the car. Yes, sir, there is. Where is it? It's in a holster on my head hip or it's in a safe in the console and, 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 and every officer has thanked me for telling them and 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 in fact one time in Carmel after <clears throat> 72 and a 45 oh good uh, lord yeah, so yeah you're the I'm race right. guy you're not the gun guy you're the racing guy <laughs> well it was I was at a light and there was a young kid in a, in a Mustang next to me 5.0 who thought he had a fast car and I just <laughs> I felt compelled to point out to him that he didn't really have a he fast called car. you chicken didn't he yeah, That's what so I, I'm sorry I, that was on at that point but <laughs> I got as I left him in the dust. Yeah, uh, uh, I got I got pulled over. In fact, my radar detector just went. They went okay, that's it. I'm I'm done. I, so I just pulled over, and the officer walked over, and he was kind of chuckling because he didn't have to turn his lights on. I just pulled over, <laughs> and, uh, and and he walked up, and I did just what we talked about, and I I, I put my license carry handgun right on top and handed it to him, and he chuckled. He goes, I I take it there's a gun in the car, and I said, yes sir, there is, and uh, he said, I'll make you a deal. And I said, yeah. 
Dan, what's that? And he goes, you don't touch yours, I won't touch mine. And <laughs> deal. I, I like that deal. <laughs> Good deal. And ended up with a warning, by the way. Oh, wow. Uh, for 50 and a 45. But anyway, I, I just think that's a good way to handle it, Nigel. Do they not- know, like, if they pull your license plate up on their screen before they... Th- th- there's not anything, uh, information that would come back that would notify them that you have the gun, right? Ah, see, that's another fabulous question. When they run your plate, your registration, no. But a lot of officers will run your plate, see who the registered owner is, and then they will run the driver's license of the registered owner, which may or may not be the driver, right? I mean, it's just the registered right. owner. But if they run the driver's license, then they're told, without even asking, if a police officer runs a driver's license in Indiana, they are told immediately that they have a license to carry hands. Ah, That's why sometimes an officer will walk up to the window and just say, where's the gun? Okay. Really? Now, now that may also because my license plate says gun lawyer. <laughs> right. I don't know. <laughs> right. And you're known as the gun guy and you're Guy yeah. Relford. Yeah. yeah. It is Monday, gun day. Guy Relford with us, 2A attorney, firearms instructor, and the host of the Gun Guy Show here at 93 WIBC. So, Guy, in Jacksonville over the weekend, mass shooting, uh, manifesto left behind. Shocking, we got all the information of this manifesto out right away because it was very racially motivated uh, somebody wanting to kill uh, African Americans. It happened at a predominantly African American uh, university. So, take a listen to this. This is the Jackson County Sheriff, T.K. Waters talking about who's really to blame here. Well, we have to stop people that have bad intentions. Guns, the, the story is always about guns. It's The people are bad. This guy's a bad guy. If I could take my gun off right now and I lay it on this counter, nothing will happen. It'll sit there. But as soon as a wicked person grabs a hold of that handgun and starts shooting people with it, there's the problem. The problem is the individual. Now, guns are a tool that people use to do do, do horrible things. But um, it's the individuals that, that wield these things. Your thoughts? Uh, it's so refreshing to hear that from law enforcement and to, to hear that it got a little bit of media coverage, because that's always the point. I mean, it's still offensive to me and frustrating to me to even hear the term gun violence. I mean, when do you hear the term knife violence or fist violence? Car violence. Or car violence. I mean, it, you don't. It's like everybody wants to tie it. Um, to their political agenda, which is to demonize the the instrumentality rather than the the evil intent and the you know the the flawed heart of the of the person committing the crime and the fact that a law enforcement officer would stand up and, and to say what he said and something I've been saying for thirty years um, and it falls on deaf ears too many times is is just really really refreshing to me um, because there's no such thing as gun violence uh, there's there's violence and um, exactly as he said. A, a gun is just an instrumentality. It's a tool. It has no soul. No such thing as good guns or bad guns. It all comes down to to whose possession um, that gun is in and what their intent is. And uh, and I, I was I loved hearing that. And I mean, it means a lot to me that he was willing to say that publicly. So I want to get your uh, attorney hat on here. Your two A attorney hat yeah. here. A Massachusetts judge has ruled against the idea that carrying guns across state lines is unconstitutional. 
Well, this is huge. And, and what this was is, is a guy um, that lived in New Hampshire, and he could legally carry in New Hampshire, but he crossed the line into Massachusetts. And he got pulled over, was found with a, with a handgun, and he didn't have a Massachusetts uh, license to carry. And so he was prosecuted for that. And in that case, and this is just a trial court level, um, his lawyer very, very smartly brought an argument to say, hold on, under the new Supreme Court decision, this is a decision you guys and I have talked about a lot. It's New Bruin, York, right? Yeah, Bruin. It's New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. And it says that to be sustainable under the Second Amendment, it's all based on the text, history, and tradition. So does the text of the Second Amendment cover the activity? If the answer is yes, then in order to say that making that activity illegal is constitutional, the state then has the burden of showing it's consistent with the history and tradition of regulation of that right. And so what they said is, you know what, and this is one judge in Massachusetts, but what he said was, you know what, I can't think of another constitutional right that you lose simply by crossing a state line. From, from one state right. to the other. You don't lose your freedom of speech because you drive from Indiana to Illinois. Exactly. And, you know, or any other constitutional freedom. And since this guy didn't have a license to carry in Massachusetts, he's now looking at a felony. And, and, and the judge said, no, that's not okay. And he said, based on this, and, and by the way, the, city, the state of Massachusetts couldn't go back and say, oh, no, this is consistent with how the, the Second Amendment has been regulated throughout the history of this country. The, the whole licensing scheme and saying, oh, no, we don't recognize this license or that license you can't carry in our state is not consistent with the regulation, the tradition of regulation of Second Amendment rights in this country, going all the way back to the founding. And on that basis, and I, I, I read this, and I said, oh my God, he's dead on. He's absolutely correct. This is the right analysis under Bruin. Now, it's just one judge in Massachusetts. But the reason I got excited about it is I said, this is the right analysis, and if this keeps going, if this goes up through the appellate process, if similar cases get decided in a similar way across the country, this could literally end the idea that I can't carry my gun in Illinois or New York or New Jersey or California because my constitutional rights don't end at their state line. And uh, so it's just one it's just one judge in, in Massachusetts of all places, uh, but it's exciting because I think this is the way that, that the law is going to develop in that area. If anybody wants to continue this conversation, get training from you, or ask any questions, how do they reach out? Yeah, hit me up on Twitter, man, I'm, or X, I guess. But but uh, I'm trying to uh, grow that following, so at Guy, at Guy Relford on Twitter. Follow him, love him, stalk him. <laughs> He's the best in the business. Guy, thank you. Thanks, guys. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? So let's rock it! See, my only thing about moving to Florida is this hurricane business i love florida i would live there full time if i had the choice if i if i could if i had the means i guess right um but the hurricane thing the hurricane thing always just makes me a little jittery and it seems like every year 
I mean, last year, right around this time, maybe, maybe actually, I think, I think that big giant hurricane that destroyed a lot of Southern Florida uh, happened in, I, I believe, October, but still late September, early October. But that's the only thing about Florida, man. It's just like, I do not want to get in my my van and drive to Atlanta for eight hours and stick it out and then come back to no power for three days or four days. I have my home possibly destroyed. Right. So there's a hurricane headed towards Atlanta, as you heard about at the top of the hour. So right now it's Tropical Storm Idalia, but it's tracking pretty much the same as Hurricane Ian, which was a Cat 4 back one year ago. And if you live in this part of the Gulf area of Florida, we're talking about Tampa, St. Pete, some of the areas just north of that, you're still dealing with insurance issues from when uh, the previous hurricane came through. Ian, and here you are one year later, and it's crazy how quickly these things escalate, because over the weekend... You know, we're keeping an eye on it. You know me, I'm a weather nerd. I'm a hurricane nerd. And I'm watching this, and it's a tropical storm. Maybe it's a Cat 1 that hits landfall in Florida. Okay. Not that a Cat 1 is anything to play with, but the folks in Florida, they've seen bigger and better. Sure. They'll probably just, you know, batten down, have a party, and ride a Cat 1 out. But overnight, it turned into something more severe, something stronger, a tighter eye. And now they're anticipating a Category 3 hurricane, which has wind speeds of anywhere from 111 miles per hour to 129 miles per hour to make landfall in the Gulf side of Florida. And Nige, you and I both vacation down in that neck of the woods. I love going down to like yeah. Madeira Beach, sure. St. Pete, Tampa area. Anna Maria Island there, a little more further south for us. That's where we're going this year. Treasure yeah. Island area. Oh, yeah. Big yeah, popular vacation area. Clearwater area, St. Pete. That's where you go. Sounds like this might be a little bit north of that, but tonight... Just after midnight, the Tampa International Airport is scheduled to be closed. Really? While they ride this thing out. So that's how seriously they're taking what's happening in Florida. Here is Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis. Look, I think when you have situations like this, you've got to put the interests of the people first. I mean, there's time and a place to have political season, but then there's a time and a place to say that this is something that's life-threatening. This is something that uh, could potentially uh, cost somebody their life. It could cost them their livelihood. And we have a responsibility as Americans to to, to come together and and do what we can uh, to, uh, to, 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 to mitigate any damage and to protect people. So that's what I've done on all these different uh, issues, and that's what I'll continue to do. Uh, when you have these situations, you got to step up. I'm watching my buddy Marco, who's been on the air with us before. I used to do radio with him back when the signal was radio now. He lives down in Tampa now, and he's at the gas station, and he took a bunch of footage of um, lines and lines and lines of cars filling up with gas ahead of this thing. Just crazy, out-of-control lines uh, at the gas station. And that soundbite from Ron DeSantis, he has removed himself from the political campaign right now. So the speeches and the events and all the things that he had lined up, he's canceled and he's returned to Florida to help the people deal with this incoming storm. Now, over the weekend, while he was planning on storm preparation, 
We talked about this earlier with Guy Relford. There was a mass shooting in Jacksonville. And take a listen to this. This is Ron DeSantis talking about that shooter in Jacksonville because the manifesto was released from this lunatic, and it was racially motivated. It happened in a predominantly all-black area, and it was some piece of you-know-what that did this. And I love that Ron DeSantis basically calls him a racist scumbag. Able to speak with Sheriff T.K. Waters in Jacksonville about the horrific shooting that took place, the shooting based on the manifesto that they've discovered from the scumbag that did this was racially motivated. Uh, He was targeting people based on their race. Uh, That is totally unacceptable. Uh, This guy killed himself rather than face the music and accept responsibility for his actions. And so he took the coward's way out, but we condemn what happened in the strongest possible terms. We've offered support for uh, Sheriff Waters and the city of Jacksonville, and we send our condolences to the victims and their families uh, who were the victims of, uh, of a very cowardly act. Now, it's interesting, though, that when it's a white shooter targeting minorities, hot damn, that manifesto is out, it's released, everybody can read it, here's what it said. But when it's the Tranifesto from Nashville, the transgender lunatic that stormed into the, uh, I believe it was a Catholic school, Christian school, and shot the children... We still don't have that out. Well, what yet. about the, you know, what about the motivation of the guy that killed six people outside of Milwaukee during the Christmas parade? Don't hmm, wonder, wonder what the motivation could have been there. No, still, still nothing on that, and that was years ago. Crickets on both of those. Now, Ron DeSantis went to speak to a ceremony, like a vigil-type ceremony that was taking place in Jacksonville. And again, this was a predominantly all-black area. So Ron DeSantis and his wife, Casey, the only white people there, basically, if we're being honest about it. And take a listen to this. Ron DeSantis goes up to the microphone, and he's talking about some of the financial aid that he's going to provide to the people in the community And the crowd's booing him because he's a Republican. And that's what they've been trained to do, boo Republicans. But there's a Democrat councilwoman from Jacksonville that takes the microphone and steps up and basically puts an end to all the nonsense. Well, thank you for doing this. I want to just say to the councilwoman, 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 I got you. Don't worry about it. We've already been looking uh, to identify funds to be able to help, one, make sure there's adequate security for Edward Waters College. We are not going to allow these institutions to be targeted by people. We Hold on. Let me, let me say thank this. Listen, y'all. Let me let me tell you, we finna put parties aside, cause it ain't it ain't about parties today. A bullet don't know a party, so don't get me started. Okay, Jacoby is nice, but Ann is not. Now, if the if the if the governor wanted to come here and he bringing gifts to my community, y'all know I'm taking the gifts, because we've been through enough already, and I don't want to go through no more. Wow. Wow. That's a powerful piece of audio right there. I know nothing about this Democrat councilwoman. She could be a complete 
<laughs> she sounds rational, actually. She sounds, I mean, that's what you want to hear right there. Right. When when your constituency, this councilwoman's people are all booing the governor who's trying to help the community. She grabs that microphone. Shut up. He's doing us a favor. He's bringing us help He's doing us his job. It's not even a favor. It's his job. Yeah, that's a pretty powerful piece of audio right there. Um, Looking at uh, Ron DeSantis' opponent, Donald Trump, we now know that uh, one of his upcoming trial appearances is going to be the day before Super Tuesday. And then you've got Joe Biden, who is scheduled to go on another vacation later this week. So, again, Hawaii burnt to the ground. East Palestine, they still haven't gotten people back in homes. Florida, about to get hit with a Cat 3 hurricane. And Joe Biden will be going on vacation again at the end of this week. Now, a lot of people are wondering, why hasn't the House of Representatives which is Republican heavy, why haven't they filed some sort of impeachment process against Joe Biden? Marjorie Taylor Greene, Large Marge, MTG, she breaks that down in a press conference earlier today. You have to have 218 votes. We only have 222 Republicans in Congress. And unfortunately, we don't have enough strong Republicans. But I'm hoping to see them get there on this because Joe Biden is now, it is proven that he lied to the American people. He lied to the American people about his business deals with his son. We had Devin Archer, Hunter Biden's uh, former business partner, come in and say Joe Biden was on the phone with them over 20 times, met with business partners in person. We also have an FD-1020 form that came from the FBI's top informant and they paid the FBI paid this guy $200,000 for this information the information that the informant brought said that Joe Biden took a five million dollar bribe while he was vice president of the United States he took that bribe in order to get the prosecutor from Ukraine uh, Victor Shokin fired and guess what Joe Biden is on video himself admitting that he was going to hold one billion dollars in USA all in order to get that prosecutor fired. And then he bragged about it, and he did get fired. So these are the crimes the American people deserve to know about because no president, no politician in Washington should be able to enrich themselves on the American taxpayers' backs, abusing their power and making policy decisions and getting paid for it. Press conference earlier today from Large Marge, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Emma and Nigel presents... Is... It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yeah. Is this anything? All right, let's rock and roll. Ever, how do we play? Is this anything? I am going to run some stories by you. You break down all the information and you give us the verdict. Is the story anything or not? We start with this, and I watched this yesterday. This was so awesome. This was just an amazing moment for a youngster. It's the championship game, the Little League World Series. You've got the international champions from Curacao taking on the United States champions from El Segundo, California. Left my wallet in El Segundo. Tie game, bottom half of the final ending, inning, and a kid from El Segundo comes to the plate. Curacao has not allowed a home run at the World Series. Challenge! Until now. 
kid yeah here's my question all right we got it uh i mean you've been around baseball all your life you've done travel teams the kid from curacao who throws that pitch what's going through like what are the age ranges first of all of these kids do we know what i mean they're not i think it's like like 12 like 12 year olds 13 year olds tops i think i could be wrong okay yeah but that's well that's an awesome moment for the american player from california i I just imagine these kids are like emotional messes that especially the guy that gives up a walk-off home run to win the world series the literally world literally a world series teams all across the world play at this thing I mean, that's sports, though. Like, Bill Buckner had an amazing career in Major League Baseball. But when you say his name, the first thing that comes to your mind was that ball going between his legs for the Boston Red Sox. But, I mean, you even heard the announcer say, yeah, Curacao is not giving up a home run this entire college, the Little League World Series, and then bam, until now. (laughs) And it was a (laughs) no-doubter, man. That, That El Segundo kid just took it for a ride but they but curacao didn't they hit some sort of grand slam during that game to tie the score yeah california was up like five to one yeah and then curacao kid hit a granny and tied it so we go to the bottom (sighs) inning and that's a moment that that kid is going to have for the rest of his life the the curacao kid too though if your parents if you're a parent if you're a coach how, how do you coach that kid after the game's over what do you say to that kid you just pull him aside and say, you made a good pitch. He hit it. He's good. Those guys on the other side, they're here for a reason. He's a that's good hitter. Saying. Yeah, that's baseball. I mean, we got to the championship game because you guys are good. There's no doubt. And let me tell you, I've coached travel ball for a while. We went down to Florida for a couple of years. And when you go play the travel tournaments down there, you get some of these teams from the Dominican Republic and Curacao, Caribbean, Puerto Rico. They're legit. I mean, those kids are scary good. How amazing of ball players they are so like if this kid that gave up that home run goes on to play major league baseball is he really going to care you know i don't know he'll probably think about it but i think he's going to be okay all right what's next steve harvey stand-up comedian host of the family feud he sent out a tweet asking his followers to name a comedian that they don't think is very funny (laughs) but the problem is He didn't actually send it out. He posted a video on his social media saying that he's on vacation and he's not too happy with one of his staff members who put that question Uh out on social media. Somebody worked for me on my Twitter, put a statement out that was totally negative. I got to take responsibility for it because they work for me. But the engagement was talking about name a comedian you don't think is funny. Why would I do something like that? My whole brand is to be motivational. You don't know where these young people at in their career, man. They could be coming up anything. I'm all about positivity. <laughs> I would have never done nothing like that. My bad, y'all. I'm sorry. Won't happen again, though. Well, I like Steve Harvey owning it, even though it wasn't his fault. And he's right. He's a guy that's all about motivation and positivity. And I, I 
like that question. I mean, I mean, like, who do you think is a comedian that's not funny? We we all have our opinions on that. I mean, that's something right. we'd ask on this show, not necessarily Steve Harvey's. Right. Uh, we don't try to spin it as we're positive all the time. <laughs> I love Steve Harvey. That dude. I saw that guy's work day because he's got the morning show and then he's got the TV show and then he's got. Uh, the game show. I think he does. Does he do two different? He does the game show and then like some sort of talk show. He's got a Steve Harvey talk show. Yeah. Then he also hosts Family so, Feud. So he wakes up in the morning at like four o'clock in the morning, gets a workout, full workout in, starts his morning show at six a.m. and uh, you know that's six to ten. He does the show from his house. It's one of those deals. And then he goes to the lot and works until like six p.m. on the on the Family Feud. I love that work ethic, man. I can respect that. This is the Hammer and Nigel Show. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Hammer and Nigel Show. My name is Nigel. Hammer's right over there with a special guest on the DriveHubo.com hotline. I'm, I'm kind of disappointed he's on the hotline and not in person, because the last time he was here in person, he brought us beer. He did. So, <laughs> he did. I, uh, U.S. Senator from the great state of Indiana, Mike Braun, who's also running to be governor of the state of Indiana. Senator, how are you? Hey, I'm great. I'm uh, in my hometown, sitting in my office, and uh, here in about a half an hour, head up to uh, Sullivan County for a Lincoln Day dinner. So I uh, won't get home till about 9.30, but that's kind of the way the trail's been uh, when you're doing two jobs, uh, finishing out your Senate job robustly and running for governor. So it's been not a dull moment out there. So let's get into the governor's race. And I'm sure you've been hearing the same things that we've been hearing, that COVID might be coming back, cases are on the rise, are lockdowns around the corner. If you were elected the governor of the state of Indiana, where do you stand on mask mandates, vaccine mandates for these public universities, churches, businesses that get state money? So there'd absolutely be none of them. Um, I would not uh, be for any mandates uh, coming from our state government. And uh, I uh, don't just, uh, I'll practice what I preach. I was a freshman senator that got that crazy idea of Biden trying to force vaccines onto every uh, worker down to, remember when they were trying that about a year after COVID was in the rearview mirror? That was our office that exercised the Congressional Review Act and uh, got two Democrats to get on board. And three weeks later, the Supreme Court said that was a cue to call that unconstitutional. So I was disappointed when I saw what we did. Uh, there wouldn't have been an essential business. You're one of them and somebody isn't. Uh, you know what that did in my hometown? 
my wife's business, so her only job, and it's a home accessory and gift store, and every other downtown retailer shut down for six to eight weeks. And then, remember, you kept moving the kind of the emergency standards uh, forward. That would not have happened with me. Yeah, the emergency, that's what I was going to say. I think the emergency declaration, Senator, lasted something absurd, like 23 months Oh my goodness! Like that. Remember yeah. that? Nope, they kept uh, to when I, you know, you, you try to give latitude. Uh, I'm the U.S. senator, but I think people know that I'm a Main Street entrepreneur and a business guy. And when I looked to see what the federal government was doing and to where there was that blind adherence to healthcare experts that were touting the science, well, once we knew the science that it ravaged, you know, the elderly that were predisposed, look what we did to kids. You know, not yeah. teaching, uh, trying to push remote teaching where half of our state doesn't have internet. I mean, there were so many bizarre consequences, and not to mention we spent almost a trillion dollars at the federal government incentivizing uh, people to stay home and watch Netflix for extended periods of time. So it, it was one of those things I always looked, Rahm Emanuel said, never let a crisis go to waste. Uh, they went to town with it in D.C. for sure, and some states that even were supposed to be conservative, red in nature, looked very blue to me. Yeah, because here in Indiana with Governor Holcomb, uh, there was a time where he wanted to lock people up for not having their masks on before the attorney general at a time had to step in and say, hey, we're not doing that here. Um, so I think there's a lot of people here in Indiana who they've heard some other folks come out and talk about this, and they were wondering where you stood in regards to any sort of COVID restrictions, if indeed that becomes a thing again. And you know, hammer on that account, because we've got six of us in the race, uh, and a couple declared way before I was an interloper getting in, and uh, two more since. And of any of them, I'm the only one that's got the record. Um, you know, Lieutenant Governor Crouch would have a record, and I didn't hear much about any of this, you know, when this was happening. But I got a voting record and, and got a track record that makes me one of the most conservative senators in the U.S. Senate. And I practice what I preach, too, and it's going to be on principle. And I think that's going to be the litigation. Everyone's going to put their bylines and headlines out there in terms of what they're going to do. But I always like to look what has someone done based on their record. We're chatting with Mike Braun, senator from Indiana, also running for governor. Another big talking point that we've been talking about around here, and honestly, Senator, something that I'm seeing firsthand is the property tax situation. Property taxes going up through the roof. Mine is substantially more expensive, despite the fact that we haven't done a lot of home improvement at Casa de Hammer. Uh, what are your thoughts on what's happening right now with property taxes in Indiana? So I visit all 92 counties, and we got them almost all in this year, and that comes up all the time. Um, and it was obviously, again, based upon a system that was supposed to reflect market changes, but never was meant to handle something skewed by government. And again, look at the bizarre dynamic triggered by D.C. that created superinflation. Uh, people wanting to get out of town created that. Uh, real estate uh, kind of temporary bubble. And obviously, I thought, 
the governor, uh, even our legislators should have come in and put some type of cap on a system that was out of hand. It was never meant to gyrate that much. It was meant to take some of the kind of uh, arbitrary nature out of the system, pre-being market-based, but whenever anything gets skewed, even if you think you've got a good system, you can't just sit on your hands. To me, uh, I've heard so many complaints about it. Uh, it'd be something that I would try to fix so that in the future, if you're ever getting spiked, and if nothing is fixed before I get there, is that you'd obviously put a lid on how much something can go up in a given year, and it should be no more than the growth of the economy at best. So uh, that's warranted. It's out there. You hear it a lot. But the people there should have had something in terms of what they were going to do. That's what I'd do. That's what I'd suggest. You say the word spiked earlier, and I think that's really important here because in this, let's call it what it is, Joe Biden economy where gas is expensive, groceries are expensive, everything is more expensive, here in our state, which is ran by, and I'm using air quotes here, Republicans, we've got gas taxes going up, property taxes going up. There are times, Senator, where it feels like this state is being ran by Democrats with the way people are being taxed. Is that a concern for you? It would be. And the analog is in um, with my employer out there, too. The unholy alliance that drives that same kind of momentum for government to always get larger is uh, um, it's made possible by 10 to 15 Republicans that tout themselves as fiscal conservatives. Democrats are at least unapologetic that the federal government's kind of their cathedral and growth business all rolled into one. But then that spending deal, that CR you hear about, and here again, it looks like it's going to be the same thing because it's kind of the neocon, hardcore defense folks that think nothing gets budgeted or audited there, whatever you want. They make that deal with the unapologetic spenders, and that can even creep into your state governments. You know, when I ran a little business, I reinvested every penny. You get good at low overhead. I always told my kids once they got involved, keep your overhead low like you're going broke. You'll never go broke. And so many people lose the roots of where they've come from. And even in our own state government, we jumped from the year before to this next biennium at government growth way above our state's economic growth. You've got to be careful. I understand it, and it won't be hard for me to look at every agency we got, all 30-plus of them, make sure they're running right. Uh, my brother ran the Department of Workforce Development under Pence, and he saw the same thing, but he was a business owner. Every one of those agencies needs not just a bureaucrat there, but somebody from the street that's actually regulated by it in there to make sure they're running efficiently. Uh, one more thing before we let you go. I know your time is limited, Senator. Senator Mike Braun here, also running for a governor of the state of Indiana. Big picture, what you're seeing with Joe Biden, the Department of Justice, actively going after a political opponent and trying to put him in jail. That would be one Mr. Donald Trump. You saw the mugshot, I'm sure, over the weekend. You've had uh, several days to let the dust settle there. Just kind of big picture, what you think you're seeing from Joe Biden in terms of going after Donald Trump. 
I was clear about that and came out quickly that that is um, a party in power weaponizing uh, their own agencies to go after a guy that they never wanted from the day he came down the escalator. And I know he gives material for the competition to work with politically. This should have been resolved in November of 24. And when you see what we've just witnessed, that can turn on anyone anywhere down the road. It's a sad day in America. Um, he gains every time he gets indicted. That should tell you something. And he did represent half the country pissed off with business as usual in D.C. And I can tell you it's worse than what you'd imagine when you see it up close like me. Senator Mike Braun from the state of Indiana, also running for governor. Senator, we appreciate your time and thank you for joining us here on the Hammer and Nigel show. Always enjoy being on. Take care. Nige, a woman was in the hospital for a few days, and while she was gone, her security camera filmed her cat meowing, and it sounds like the cat is saying, Mom, where are you? Mom. (laughs) Did you hear it? Yeah, it sounds like a three-year-old toddler. <laughs> that's creepy. Yeah, I mean, that totally sounded like it. I'm, I'm just being honest. Allison, do you think our producer, that's, I mean, that's... Mom, where are you, Mom? Did oh, you hear I it? I absolutely heard it. Which brings us to great moments in cats <laughs> that sound like things history. This is a cat that sounds like Bill Cosby. <laughs> That was not a cat. What was that? That was a cat that was talking <laughs> like Bill Cosby doing shtick. Allison, can you play it again, uh, it please? Sounds like Bill Cosby for sure. Oh, yeah, 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 in the And the cat that says, oh, Long Johnson. Why does he sound drunk? It's <laughs> uh, probably my cat. That's Nigel's yeah. cat. That's Gary, right? There. That's Gary. It's the Hammer and Nigel show. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. And Nigel. Do you believe these characters are weirdos? So let's rock my name is Nigel. Jason Hammer right over there. I think you and I had questions in the very beginning, this very tragic uh, death of uh, Deputy John Durham Hammer, who was strangled to death while transporting an inmate um, during an escape attempt. And and you and I were, were wondering, you know, this, this was a violent guy, and why was there only one person on the job transporting him? Right. That day. Just a tragic situation all the way around. Right. And we wanted to absolutely let enough time pass where you honored the life of the late Deputy John Durham. 
But it was also okay to say, wait a minute, this doesn't seem right here. We're starting to get some more information, and it feels like we were on to something, Nige. A spokesperson for the sheriff's office has stated that two Marion County Sheriff's deputies have been fired for, quote, job performance on the day that Deputy Durham lost his life. Pretty interesting article by Fox 59 here. I'm going to read a little bit of this to you. Quote, the sheriff's office command staff held a review of what happened that day. During the review, a deputy said they heard yelling and commotion of the struggle between Deputy Durham and his attacker, but did not go to investigate it. Oh, wow. I mean, mm. that's that's just lazy. That's a bad look. <sighs> What's the official policy when transporting a guy like that? Is so, I'm glad transport? you bring that up. The Marion County Sheriff's Department's policy clearly states, quote, transports such as non-emergency transport to Eskenazi shall utilize two jail deputies. Now, in addition to two deputies being required for medical trips to Eskenazi, the policy also states... High-risk transports... Which is what this guy was. Right. This guy was a lunatic. High-risk transports shall also require a team compromised of at least two CERT members from the Marion County Sheriff's Department. Like I said at the beginning of the of the segment, a tragic situation all the way around. It sounds like it may have been preventable. Um, the two Marion County Sheriff's deputies that were fired, probably, I would think, um, and I'm projecting here, I, I would think they have to feel very guilty um, about what transpired and maybe what could have been done if protocols would have been file, followed. If you know the at least go find out what the ruckus is. That, right. That's Do the part, your job and yeah. check to see what the noise was because this article from Fox Fifty Nine again quote a deputy said they heard yelling and commotion of the struggle between Deputy Durham and his alleged yeah. attacker, but did not that's, investigate. That's very it. strange to me. That's very strange. So, it's been a rough stretch for law enforcement here in Central Indy. Uh, A man with a machete was shot and killed during this multi-hour standoff with the IMPD. Police say the guy was having some sort of mental breakdown, and he had threatened to kill family members and police prior to being shot to death. A member of the SWAT team and the Crisis Negotiating Unit, uh, they responded to the scene and said they were not able to have any sort of meaningful conversations, and they tried less lethal tactics to get this criminal, this lunatic, to uh, not harm himself or others. Did not work. I mean, we're talking like... You have to be in such a crazy mental state to resist a stun gun. And those 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 beanbag rounds that they fire off, the pepper balls, right. yeah, yeah. He basically was able to fight through all of that. The machete will do it. Yeah, I mean, you you decrease your chances of getting shot to death. I, I would say exponentially by dropping the machete. And, right. Um, my question is: Is this guy's family going to be suing the IMPD now? looking for some sort of uh, compensation. And with the leadership we have in the city uh, between Hogsett and Ryan Mears, uh, the gruesome twosome, 
the family will probably get paid. Now, I'm reading the report here. Uh, this guy charged toward officers with a machete, made contact with a ballistics shield one of the officers was holding from the SWAT team. Yeah. So, he was close enough to make contact, and that's when he was shot and I'm killed. just think if he didn't have the, the shield. Right. Right. And this is the kind of crap that our law enforcement officials go through all the time, and their reward is having Joe Hogsett bash them publicly, and then the city of Indianapolis settle with the families of these lunatics uh, behind closed doors. It's just a, it's a rough time to be a law enforcement to, official. What are you supposed to do with a guy who you've been negotiating with for two hours who is resistant to stun guns all of a sudden charges at you with a giant, sharp machete? What are you supposed to do if you're a cop? That's, Same I mean, dude who had threatened to kill people earlier. Yeah. You know, this long, hours-long standoff here, threatened to kill people, and then was bum-rushing you with a machete. Sorry, bud. Lights out. Uh, Indiana Task Force 1. Heading back from Hawaii today. They're proud coming back on a couple different trips, man. Very proud of those guys. They do amazing work. And I'm wondering if these members, which include, you know, firefighters, uh, trauma doctors, nurses, structural engineers, if they're going to be hopping on a plane to go right back down to Florida here pretty soon. Yeah. Because it sounds like yep. this hurricane uh, is really starting to develop in the Gulf, hitting those warm Gulf waters, and it looks like what you know over the weekend we thought might just be a Cat One is now going to be a pretty strong Category Three, making landfall uh, just north of Tampa. 5,500 National Guard members are on standby for this tropical storm, soon-to-be hurricane, Idalia, gathering strength. Here is Ron DeSantis earlier today. The tropical storm, Idalia, continues to gather strength. It will become a hurricane today, uh, and it is forecast to reach landfall as a major hurricane, a Category 3. Tampa Airport closing at a little bit after midnight tonight. Well, it was it was right around this time last year, maybe a month later, uh, that the that, that Southern Florida got hit with a really really bad hurricane that decimated some areas. Uh, and a lot of those people are still dealing with insurance issues because let's be honest, the insurance companies they're not the easiest people to work with when something like this happens. I believe Tony Kennett was telling us that yeah, over in, in Maui, Hawaii. Yeah. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. Hello, I'm Nigel. Hammer's right over there with a special guest of the DriveHubler.com hotline. He is a part of the wake-up call with KB and Andy on our sister station, 107.5 The Fan. The KB of that is Kevin Bowen. He joins us now. Uh, Kevin, tomorrow's the day. That's the deadline that was supposed to be set in stone for a Jonathan Taylor trade. What's the latest? Yeah, um, at 4 o'clock tomorrow. And, and let me just first say this is the Colts self-imposed deadline, if you will. There really is no NFL deadline. I mean, yes, roster cuts are tomorrow, but the NFL trade deadline is actually not until Halloween. So, you know, I just wanted to point that out. Mm. Uh, but ha- having said that, I think that there's a real possibility that something could happen. I think Jonathan Taylor, to say he is disgruntled, to say he is upset, would be an understatement. Um, and obviously the Colts ultimately – control him right now from a contractual standpoint and what they can do trade-wise. But, you know, I, I think it's one of these things that if you're the Colts, you've kind of, kind of got to look in the mirror in the next 24 hours and say, 
are we just delaying the inevitable with this and that? You know, it's not like he's going to be happy anytime soon unless all of a sudden the Colts have a change of heart and wanting to give him a contract extension. So, you know, maybe you sweeten the, the final year of his rookie deal right now. Again, maybe you do something very different from what they have done this offseason because they've made it clear that they're not negotiating with him right now. Um, unless that happens and it's a total 180, um, it seems to me that, you know, I don't really know how much good it does to keep him here if you have no desire to give him what he wants in a multi-year deal moving forward. And KB, how did we get to this point with Jonathan Taylor, an all-star running back? Like, how in the world did we, did this come out of nowhere? Was this something that was simmering or brewing? Like, when did this all start? Yeah, it's a great question, Nigel. We would probably need, frankly, <laughs> a lot longer than just 10 minutes to, <laughs> to go over um, it all. I, I'd say some combination of, you know, 4-12-1 happened. Um, the running back market around the NFL has been devalued. The Colts have had a change of heart with past precedent. And typically under Chris Ballard, and not even typically, they almost always have given players three years into their NFL deal or uh, NFL careers that have outperformed the rookie contracts, they've given them extensions. Taylor would certainly fall into the boat and somebody that's outperformed his rookie deal. Um, Taylor had an, you know, a, a high ankle sprain that was very nagging last season that, that clearly um, is impacting certainly his availability this offseason and potentially some of these contract talks as well. Shane Steichen came here. Uh, is there a change of philosophy? Is there a challenging of the Chris Ballard blueprint from Shane Steichen? So I think there are a lot of layers to this. That's why it's so complicated. Both sides, I think, actually have a decent amount of, um, you know, debatable material, if you will. Um, but it, to the broader point, it's just disappointing that you're talking about a dude that is on the side of Lucas Oil Stadium. We all see it driving in from I-70 right there on the southwest corner, and now he could be gone. And what is that message that you're sending, both parties, Taylor and the Colts, what is that message you're sending to Anthony Richardson? I, I think that's something that, 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 that can't be lost here either. Kevin, how much of this is the fact that Jonathan Taylor got new representation? He gets a new owner, and then, like Nigel said, just like that, it went from almost like what we saw with Victor Oladipo with the Pacers, a guy the city got behind, everybody loved. Next thing you know, he's ripping the organization. Like, Is this something that the new agent may have a hand in? Yeah, I'd say maybe like... I don't know, maybe some of the public matter in this. Certainly the agent has acted, in my opinion, pretty childish on Twitter. But, I mean, Taylor's displeasure happened before he got this agent. I mean, he fired the previous agent for a reason, and that was because he obviously wanted to try and seek out whatever it is, four running back money, multi-year length. You know, clearly he had some issues before this. Um, and guys do this. I mean, guys, I wouldn't say frequently, but, I mean, there are plenty of Colts players that have fired and hired, you know, different agents throughout their time in, in Indianapolis. So that is not as shocking to me. But, again, Taylor, you know, probably early 2023 is when I would have to peg of, uh, of when he probably got a little bit of inkling of, like, oh, wow, um, they're not even negotiating here. And, and how should I handle that? So, you know, he looks at it from – um, I'm the fifth highest paid player on this offense. And if you're going to go out there and debate right now, you know, who are the best players in this offense, Jonathan Taylor would probably be atop that list. So that's where his displeasure comes from. And if you're the Colts, they look at it and they say, well, we've got a new head coach and 
Um, we're not just going to hand out these contract extensions now willy-nilly. And, um, you know, you, you battled this ankle. They haven't really brought up the injury as much as, you know, maybe some others have. But, you know, that has probably got to be a factor here. So that's where you've seen just two very, very divided parties on this. And, and, and again, I don't see this easy resolution happening. Kevin Bowen joining us from 107.5 The Fan, part of the morning show over there. Uh, one more thing here on the Colts before we move on to some college football, which is playing meaningful games already. Anthony Richardson got some reps against the Eagles. Um, can we take anything away from what we've seen from Anthony Richardson so far? Well, I think certainly, and it's pretty obvious after you watch him for one play, it's a very different style quarterback to what the Colts are used to having. Uh, Frankly, I can't recall a team in NFL history going from such a contrasting style from Matt Ryan (laughs) to to Anthony Richardson. Um, I think what you get in Anthony Richardson is, is you get a guy that can create a little bit and can do some things off script for those that watch. The, the preseason finale last Thursday, I mean, there were moments where the play looked dead. There were plays that looked like they'd be a negative play, and Richardson can turn them into a positive. There's also moments where it looks like a simple positive is right there, and boom, the fastball goes 99 miles per hour out of his arm, and it's an incompletion, and now you're having to be in those moments where you need his kind of creative ability to get you out of a position that he has kind of helped put you in with, you know, some inaccurate plays. So, you know, his completion percentage certainly has to rise. But again, he provides that element where you can draw up an X and O on a whiteboard and you can think it's perfectly drawn up. But when that breaks down, what happens? Is the play over? I mean, last year, the Colts had plays over pretty quickly. And now they've got a guy that can extend and can create and and do some of those things. So I think if you get out of the uh, stats and the box scores from the preseason – I think you will see a QB that, again, has some intriguing qualities. A ton of development and support is needed. Um, but I think you got to be pretty pleased if you're a Colts fan of seeing the hope and thinking, okay, there is something here. Now it's time to watch this project and see how much he can evolve. Got about a minute left here uh, chatting with Kevin Bowen, part of the wake-up call with KB and Andy on the fan. Uh, college football, meaningful games already underway. Your Irish had a big blowout win against Navy over the weekend. Notre Dame's transfer quarterback looked for real. Purdue hoping their transfer quarterback looks for real. Indiana has a transfer quarterback from Tennessee, but I don't know if we've heard who's starting for Indiana yet, have we? Yeah, no update yet from Tom Allen. I'm sure Ryan Day and Ohio State are just having sleepless nights. <laughs> who possibly could be the starting quarterback for the Indiana Hoosiers. Uh, to me, when you're in year six of a head coaching era, which Tom Allen, I believe it's year six, uh, and you're over-under win totals three and a half, that sums up everything you need to know about how that coach's era is, is going and how the program is at this point. So, yeah, David Jackson, uh, Brendan Thorsby, we'll, we'll see come Saturday at 3.30 against Ohio State what happens. And then Hudson Card, I think, is a very intriguing name for, for Purdue. Transferred in from Texas. Um, Ryan Walters is a defensive-minded head coach, but they're going to try and get back to kind of the – which Aiden O'Connell certainly had this, but, you know, those olden days of, you know, Purdue kind of throwing it all over the yard, uh, which Purdue, again, ha- has you know tried to maintain. And, again, Aiden O'Connell was certainly that. Uh, but Purdue's got a tough schedule. I mean, Fresno State won 10 games last year. Uh, they're barely favored at home on Saturday. So uh, expectations in year one. Um, certainly be something to keep an eye on uh, with uh, with Ryan Walters and company. Where can we get more coverage, my friend? 
Yeah, 107.5, the fan. Again, those roster cuts like we talked about, they are due tomorrow at 4 o'clock, the Jonathan Taylor situation. We'll get some answers tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Might not just be the trade. Uh, and then we'll also have you uh, covered on our morning show. That is the wake-up call with myself, uh, Kevin Bowen, and uh, Andy Sweeney, 7 to 10 a.m. over on the fan. KB, thanks so much, man. We appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, guys. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Hammer and Nigel Show. Hello, my name is Nigel. Hammer right over there with a special guest of the DriveHugler.com hotline. She is one half of the Chicks on the Right program, Mock Arena. Mock, how are you? <laughs> I am well. How are you guys doing? Good, good. We've got some big national stuff we want to get your opinion on. But first, let's start really close to home. I thought of you and your son right away when I saw what happened to the uh, lacrosse coach at Carmel. Oh, man. Died in a uh, yeah. crash. Yeah. I know that was your son's coach when uh, he's playing lacrosse at Carmel High School. Nobody can probably give us a perspective better than you guys can. Take me through um, your thoughts, what your son's been saying, and what has the school been doing um, since that horrible news broke? So I have a lot to say about this. <laughs> so I'm, I don't want to take up like your whole segment. I don't want to because I don't want to get on a soapbox, but I also kind of do because this was Jack Meacham um, was a force. He's not just been uh, my kid who is a senior this year. He's not just been his lacrosse coach at Carmel. He has been coaching my son and the other senior lacrosse players since they were in the third grade. Mm. Through club lacrosse. So he's been a force in my kids and so many other kids' lives for such a long time. And obviously, this is devastating for his family, for his friends, and those who knew him well beyond measure because he was just 31. He got married to his lovely bride just two months ago and finished up his master's program two weeks ago. So, you know, it's just, it's just unspeakable unspeakably sad in so many ways and so and i'm sorry if you hear dog toys in the background (laughs) um but so what happened so this happened on tuesday night we all learned about it on wednesday morning and i was in nashville with daisy um so it was hard because i wasn't here to you know to hug my kid hug my husband and kind of cope with it cope with cope with this loss with um, my family but what i had expected of the school at carmel high was and i don't think this was a big ask but i thought immediately that what they would do immediately was gather the lacrosse team together and unfortunately that never happened it happened at every other school in the other lacrosse programs it happened at Guerin, it happened at cathedral it happened at hse some of carmel's biggest rivals immediately got the teams together to have them process or try to process what had happened as a team which makes all kinds of sense and it's what should have happened at carmel no one thought to do that and it just I, I was infuriated another one of the moms was 
expecting, as we all were, that that would be the most basic way of caring for our kids. And um, she actually had written an email to the principal and I think to the athletic director as well saying, you know, this is such horrible news. This was immediately, like her response immediately within an hour of learning this news was to email the, the principal, to email the AD and just say, you know, this is awful. We're all in communication about this. Please let us know how we can help. And I'm assuming that you are getting the boys together. And at no point did that happen. Like no, um, no grief no counselors or anything like that? I don't. Well, so that's the thing is they said in this email, they, they wrote an email to the to the entire school, really, and all the families saying our, you know, our counselors are available okay. for your boys. Okay. Make sure, you know, have them come to what teenage boy is going to take that is going to do that proactively. Yeah. Everybody is in shock and they needed to be brought together to have each other's support. And that yeah. just didn't happen. Now I do want to say that the president of the lacrosse booster club, Keith Griffin immediately went to work to organize a vigil that was held that same evening at Carmel high in the stadium. And that was amazing. Like he did an, a, a phenomenal job of gathering so many people together. There was a busload of kids from Culver that drove down for wow. that. All the kids, all the teams from the other schools participated. But on a down note about that, he was he asked if there was a you know he a vigil to me is a time for people to come together and support one another in prayer. They were told they were not allowed to have prayer. So yes, a vigil was allowed to be organized. What? Or allowed? Yeah. So when they asked to have a pastor come and speak to the crowd, they were told by Carmel High, mm, "No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to have an organized prayer." That's that we. Wow. And, and so they didn't allow it. It was so absurd on so many levels. So, and Mark, so, let me jump in here real quick. Just want to make sure that yeah. we're all on the same page here. The high school Carmel did not get the lacrosse players together to say, "Hey, you know, rely on each other." You know, during this time of sadness, anything like that. That did not happen, even though rival schools did that type of thing. And at the vigil, nobody was allowed to pray. That's correct. They were not allowed to have a pastor come and give a prayer for everybody at the vigil. And so, and, and, and actually the girls lacrosse coach at Carmel got the girls lacrosse team together, but no one thought, Hey, maybe we should get the boys lacrosse team together, you know, when this news broke. And so that was the most basic thing. It was really the only expectation I had that, you know, the, the boys would be gotten together to support one another. And that just didn't happen. So that was uh, very, Really, yeah. really disappointed in in how the principal handled this, and and I feel like too that had this been the football team, it would have been very very different. Um, and you know these counselors were we're always told Carmel is cream of the crop when it comes to the counseling services, and that's probably true. Like if a lacrosse player had decided all of a sudden that they wanted to become a girl, they probably would have had all kinds of counseling and available for them. But to deal with a, a you know the loss of a coach not so much how's your son doing mark how's your son doing 
It's been very, very emotional off and on. Yeah. I think for the first day, day and a half, he was just an absolute shock. Um, but there has been a lot of tears from all of us uh, and from all the rest of the boys on the team. They've been so positively impacted by Jack's coaching in so many ways. And so it's been it's been really, really tough. Well, Mock, make sure you tell him that uh, our audience uh, is thinking of him. We're praying for the family of the coach. And, uh, man, that's a rough situation. Um, I want to get your thoughts on the mugshot seen around the world. Donald (laughs) Trump um, arrested in Georgia. The mugshot is out. Take me through the response, because I think, and I've said this for a long time, I think the left just wanted the mugshot. I don't think they care if he goes to jail, if he runs for president. They just wanted the mugshot. But to me, and maybe I'm the Lone Ranger, it feels like it may have backfired on him. Well, I think the right was every bit, and I think Donald Trump was every bit as interested in a mugshot as the left. Yes, I think the right. left, I do think, I, I will disagree with you in one aspect, and that is I think they wanted, the left wanted the mugshot because they see it as a means to an end. They want him behind bars. The right wanted the mugshot to show the absurdity of these multiple indictments and how utterly meaningless they have become because it's all been so weaponized and we all see through it. And so the mugshot, I think, for the right is like a rallying cry, right? Like it looks like it, it just he looks so defiant and so stoic in it and I and I think it's great actually so I mean the picture I think is being um, celebrated on both sides of the aisle for very very different reasons and he raised what seven million dollars so far yeah. <laughs> off this yeah. thing I mean, you're damn merch. right he wanted that mugshot <laughs> I mean the merch is like flying off the shelves I'm sure um, Mock from the chicks on the right with us one more thing here before we let you go um lost i think a little bit in mugshot mania was joe biden's disastrous trip to hawaii uh it was a mess from the beginning from getting the names of the representatives wrong to saying ridiculous things like comparing somebody who's lost their loved ones in a fire to him almost losing his corvette i mean oh my god this was just a train wreck from the very beginning wasn't it Everything that he does at this point is a train wreck, so that shouldn't have been a surprise to anyone that he would, and, and not only that he would use those personal stories, but they're lies. I mean, they're, the way that he over-dramatizes uh, what happened to him with this 20-minute kitchen fire is just so <laughs> absurd and so insulting on so many levels to the people in in Maui. I just cannot believe, but then, of course, I can believe it, right? This is so par for the course for Joe Biden. And of course, and when he gets back and he's like, no comment on the number of people missing and the number of people who perished. It's just, it's vile, but at this point, it's so expected from him. He did the same thing with the Gold Star families in Afghanistan. Uh, yeah, my son yeah. Bo was over there, and he, he died as a result of being in Iraq. Well, he was in the JAG Corps. He's a lawyer, and he came back and died of brain cancer because of the burn pits. He wasn't on the God. front line. He wasn't on the front lines. He was trying to, to to get refugees and Americans out of Afghanistan, but he tried to identify with them in that way, and it just comes off so tone deaf and just cringeworthy. Yeah. 
And he promised, I mean, when the, when those 13 service members lost their lives, he promised justice for them. And I have been waiting and waiting yeah. and waiting, and I know the Gold Star families have certainly been waiting, too. Nothing. There has, there has never been justice. And the fact that they keep dancing around this and they keep hiding from the massive mistakes that they made and not taking any accountability is just gross. Mock, what are you working on at chicksontheright.com, and, uh, and when can people see your uh, broadcast? Well, they should always tune in every morning live streaming uh, on all the platforms at 7.30 Eastern every morning. And we just got back from Nashville. Uh, we did a live stream of debate night, which was really, really fun. One half of the Chicks on the Right program, that is Mock. Mock, you're the best. Thank you. Thank you. And it takes me back to a simpler place in time. Yesterday, just not perfect in terms of weather. Oh, it was I mean, beautiful. I, I, I'm looking, I, I'm just, get this week out of the way. We got Labor Day weekend creeping up on us here, and then Colts football the weekend after that. I am just excited for uh, Moonshine Monday, kicking it all off right now here on the Hammer and Nigel Show. Where? Remind me again where, where all these are from that we're trying to... Uh, the Sugarlands Distillery. Sugarlands Shine down in Tennessee. And you've, like, been, you've been there? Oh, yeah. I've been to the uh, distillery. I've purchased some bottles of shine from there. There's a couple different places down in that neck of the woods. There's Old Smoky, mm. there's Sugarlands, okay. and this Sugarlands selection that we have today, Peanut Butter and Jelly Moonshine. <laughs> PB&J Moonshine. What do you want to say? Are we gonna? What do you want to call it before we take a, take a little sip of this here? Are we, are we gonna, do we think it really tastes like peanut butter and jelly? Well, smell it. I smell the peanut butter. I can smell the peanut butter. For I don't sure. know if I smell the jelly. Okay. Well, let's give well, it a try. Happy Moonshine Monday, everybody. Yep. Tastes like it does. It tastes like I can taste the jelly. It does. <laughs> Boy, just because these are kind of fancy schmancy, sugary kind of flavor flavors, it's still got a bite to it, man. Because we take a big oh, drink of it, yeah. and then afterwards we realize <laughs> that may have been a poor choice. Wow, it's got a little kick to it. PB and J Moonshine Good. from Sugarland Shine Moonshine Monday. It's Amber and Nigel show.